This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We're going to talk theatre now. I'm joined in the studio by Daniel Clark, who is directing a production of the play Rust and Bone at La Mama Courthouse Theatre. The last time Dan was on the show, he was talking about his own program at Theatre Works. He's since moved on, but you're uh, keeping in touch with the independent theatre scene, obviously. Of course I am. I was thinking that I'm usually in here talking about other people's work, but this is about my work. Yeah. Um, And so I haven't directed since 2013, actually. That was the last show that I did um, at Theatre Works, Palace of the End. So it's... You know, it's great to be back on the floor, rehearsing, making work. Working with uh, an array of actors on a play by an Australian playwright which hasn't been seen in Melbourne no. before. It had a season at Griffin yes. Theatre back in 2013. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so Rust and Bone by Caleb Lewis. Um, I first read a, a, an early draft of this script, I think back in 2009, 2010. So um, the source material that Caleb's used for this play is a, a short stories by Canadian playwright Craig Davidson. Um, and he and uh, Caleb started working on this piece back in 2009, 2010. Um, and then at the same time, a film was developed. I'm, I'm not sure whether you, you've heard of the film, the film Rust and Bone with Marion Cotillard in a French film, which is, it, go, it goes, yeah, another be- a beautiful film. So both of these projects were being developed at the same time using the same same source material of Craig Davidson's short stories. But going off in different directions. Yeah, I mean, essentially the, the short stories are all, uh, uh, were about uh, men and Rust and Bone, the play that um, Caleb's written is about essentially three men um, uh, and it's a, it's a, you know, a pretty frank and... Um, brutal and vulnerable look at masculinity where the, the film became a, a, a love story, really. Okay. Yeah. So, essentially, there are three short plays that make up Rust and Bone, each looking at a different character yeah, and no, a different... Yeah, no, it's more than... It's, no? it's actually... It's three, I guess, three central stories, but um, the three actors... Uh, you know, tell their stories but also jump in to support the other storytelling. So they play about 30 characters between them. Okay. So it's a real celebration of the actor as a storyteller. Um, we've kind of made this work in the round for the courthouse that I feel like could just be kind of plonked down anywhere really. Um, there's no props, there's no costume changes, it's a very physical work, um, it's very, I guess, exposing for both the, um, the actors and the audience because there's no escape. It's, it's pretty relentless, um, but it's very, it's, Caleb's found a really beautiful um, poetry to the language in, in this work that he's created. Now, you say it's a play about masculinity, yeah. uh, and in particular I get the impression it's a play about vulnerable masculinity, broken masculinity, toxic masculinity, the, the, the box that men put themselves and one another in. Yes, and uh, the, I guess, you know, what we've had to, you know, consider and look at through this process is how, how men are conditioned, what their expectations are around what it is to be a man. Um, and these three men in particular, um, you know, are faced with, um, a, I guess a disability in, 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 in some respect or faced with a, a big kind of turning point in their life. Um, that they they need to work through and it, and it is it's a, I guess if you you were to meet these men in uh, in real life they wouldn't be um, 
they would struggle to deal with the emotions and the, and talking through what is actually going on. But, but through this play, I guess they're opening up and sharing that their, their experiences with us and working through that. It's um, it's kind of like the play starts. I talk to the actors. It's like a, a tightly wound kind of ball of tension and masculinity and it kind of unravels throughout the piece. Yeah. yeah. Now, the stories of the, the three main characters, uh, are, some are quite everyday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flip side of that is one character whose legs have been bitten off by an orca. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, yeah, so there's a, you know, the three, kind of, the three like, le- kind of central stories, I guess, the three characters that we're... Uh, following his story, there's um, uh, Ben, who's a whale trainer, a, a young 20-year-old, you know, very handsome whale trainer at SeaWorld. Um, and, you know, he, you know, he, and he, he, he loses his leg. So he's got to, he's faced with, with that. And that's, you know, that's kind of based on true story. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah there's but, a lot. And it also struck me thinking about it that in many ways the loss of the legs is a metaphor for the loss of the of things that many other men might experience in life, the loss of their emotions, for example, Mm -hmm. or uh, the way that men deal with the loss of a job, and particularly men in middle life when they might deal with the loss of a partner and and, uh, all the the support structures of their life, their job, their their partner or whatever, are suddenly ripped away from them. Yeah, and there's there's also, I get, there's the the character of... um, James, who desperately, desperately wants to have, uh, well, he, he's they want to have children. Basically, he can't have he 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 can't have children, um, and he his his I guess, I guess his outlet or his the way that he um, <laughs> deals with a kind of fatherhood is he fights he fights dogs illegal is uh, an illegal dog fighter, which is quite horrific. Um, but he goes on his own journey through that um, and. Yeah, it, they they are all, they're all kind of, they've been damaged in some way and working through the next step. And I hope that, you know, through the piece um, and through the experience of the piece, it's, it, it's um, I don't know, where uh, giving space for conversations, giving space for feelings, giving space for acceptance of vulnerability within masculine culture, um opening opening space I guess what was it that made you think this was the right play for you to direct and particularly the right play for you to return to directing too yeah it's been several years yeah I um it's one of those plays that I've wanted to like I've it's been in my um kind of wish list for some like since 2010 basically and it's just been finding the right the right avenue for it um I had a really kind of visceral response to it when I first read it. I also find, um, I, I guess, uh, um, ma- masculinity on some level quite interesting. And I think that, you know, I look at, I was talking to a friend of mine in London. I was like, why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this show? What do I, what do I want to be doing? And I'm like, maybe I want to bring those like really macho men into a room and pow! 
punish them. <laughs> Make them play out. <laughs> play oh, out. Getting revenge. Revenge. For- <laughs> <laughs> I was really trying to go really quite deep into like what is it, what, what, why, what, what's drawing me to this well, piece. I, I can understand is- because <laughs> from my perspective as a gay man, yeah. I find masculinity toxic and terrifying yeah. but alluring and fascinating at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really... It, I knew that I wanted to do the show. I've known that I've wanted to do it. I've pitched it to a number of p- people over the years. It's been interesting. Um, you know, a few years ago there was feedback, you know, it's not great play, but it's really not fashionable to be doing a show um, that's d- looking at masculinity. Um, uh, and then, you know, you get the opportunity to to do it and then you go, well, okay, we're in the rehearsal room. You know, what is it? What, what do we, what, what we want to do with this show? Why am I drawn? And you start to look deeper and deeper and it's like, oh, this is, this is quite fascinating. Like, because we, I, essentially I am bringing these three pretty hardened men into a space and making them feel and talk. <laughs> Tell us about the creative team you've put together oh, for yeah. this because there's some lovely talents involved. Yeah, it's a wonderful creative team. The three actors that I've working with and working with them for the first time, Glenn Maynard, Adam Ibrahim and um, Luke Marquini, just beautiful um beautiful performers and I really wanted to um, bring into this space a, a diverse um, cast, a diverse, culturally diverse cast, which has been wonderful. Um, I'm working with um, Ingrid Varent, who um, is a beautiful movement director and choreographer and we worked on a piece together, both being from Adelaide or living in Adelaide for some time um, back in the 90s and I just knew this work was right for her and I'm so glad that she's come on board with that. Penny Harpham, who directed um, Heart recently, has been an ex- she's been the assistant director and just been such a fine collaborator with me and we've really kind of created this piece together. Richard Vabre has been beautiful creating, creating the lighting. Jacob Batista and Chris Wen. So it's been a pretty. It's been a great team. We're really looking forward to getting into the theatre next week. Um, you know, it's a six. We've, the capacity is now down to sixty. The audience is on for the four sides. We're really kind of trying to create this kind of intimate kind of, um, I guess, arena. I guess that's reflective of the bo- a boxing ring. There's a there's a boxer. Bo- yeah, one of the characters. Studio, is there's a boxer. boxer. Yeah. There's the dog fighting and there's the swimming pool. So we've created this. A cage, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The production is Rust and Bone, directed by my guest Daniel Clark, on at the La Mama Courthouse Theatre, 349 Drummond Street, Carlton. Uh, Given that it's a La Mama uh, Presents gig, I should just, as always, declare my conflict of interest. I'm on the Committee of Management at La Mama. I don't benefit financially from promoting this production. Uh, If you want a book for Rust and Bone, uh, go to www.lamama.com.au or call 9347... I've lost the rest of the number, 9347. Uh, 614 is what it says here, but that's wrong because there's a, num- uh, there's a number missing there. So, look, just go to lamama.com.au. It'll be easier. Bloody media releases. Um, uh, and the season is from the 16th until the 27th of yeah. November. Yeah. Sounds like it's going to be great. Well, it's not great is. fun. I don't think fun is quite the right word. It sounds like it's going to be a rich and complex and it fascinating should be, work. It should feel pretty through. It should feel there are definitely moments of fun and thrill, thrills and excitement and joy, even just through simply watching the characters switch time, place, character, tense. Like it's 
it's a fairly it is an enjoyable experience actually Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. it myself. Rust and Bone at the La Mama Courthouse Theatre in Carlton from the 16th to the 27th of November. Lamama.com.au for more details. Dan Clark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. for us to talk about a new exhibition that's on at McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery down in Lang Warren. Uh, the exhibition is called Human Animal Artist, Art Inspired by Animals, and we're joined in the studio by one of the participating artists, Vera Muller, and uh, uh, the director of McClelland, John Cunningham. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Good morning. So, uh, John, let's start with you. This exhibition has been curated by Janine Burke. What was the the focus? Did you give her a brief? Did she come to you with the idea? How did this come about? Well, I'm actually the new director. I've only been there for, uh, you know, 12 months or so. But uh, Janine did a show with us uh, back in 2013 called Ness, The Art of Birds. And this is the kind of the follow-up to that, and I hope it's going to be a trilogy. So Janine Burke is, without doubt, I think, I was trying to consider a better thinker or a better writer about art worldwide, and I couldn't think of one. She's just an extraordinary uh, person, and to uh, have an exhibition which calls into question, you know, what is art, who makes art, what is the artist, which is, you know, the perennial ongoing questions, and to have them in a park, the largest sculpture park in the nation... It's magical. It seems that, I guess, the outdoor setting does seem a, a very logical place to present work that is inspired by animals. Vera, tell us about your own work in the exhibition. Well, mine is strictly indoors. I think it'll melt away if I <laughs> expose it to anything more than a raindrop. Um, well, the work that I make has much to do with underwater worlds and I've actually just mo- moved to a location that I can be as close as possible to the um, Mushroom Reef Marine Park in Flinders. So for a long time now, because my background is in biology, I've looked at um, forms and structures and physiologies that live in the sea. And um, what intrigues me about it um, is the sort of exhilarating variety of shapes and forms that get gets built by marine invertebrates. They're hugely complex. They seem to um, be beyond comprehension. So when, as biologist, my aim, I guess, was to understand and analyse and describe things and phenomena that I would see, as an artist, I deliberately step back from that and spend long time, slow time, trying to just contemplate what it is that I might look at. I, I love the, the the idea that you're essentially in dialogue with yourself. Kind of, That's uh, the, absolutely correct. Yeah, the rational yes. thinking scientist versus the, not irrational, but the, the more emotive, contemplative, artistic side of your work. The more I look at um, what we're trying to understand, and you've got you to gotta just be aware that, for instance, when we look at the southern coast, uh, 75% they think we don't even, we haven't even, under, we haven't even found yet. So all of those issues that are very, very uh, important, that is to um, the lack of understanding because we don't even know it, what that means in terms of protection of those environments, all of that is clearly a big issue for me. However, when I go into the studio, I what I most like about it is that I have allowed for long and very private time to spend to contemplate these kinds of phenomena. 
And when I bring it into the public realm, I hope that an audience will spend perhaps not as much time, but um, at least stand still for a moment and also start to um, contemplate those issues. John, how have some of the other artists responded to this notion of the, the, the conversation or the divide between the human and the animal? It's um, fascinating, to be honest. Um, and like Vera was saying, um, just put a step back, in regards to the park, my one criteria to my crew is make magic. Now, another way of explaining that, following on from Vera's point, is invisible dynamics. So there are invisible dynamics inherent in the bush, inherent in the ocean, which are invisible to our eyes. But if you're actually looking them up as a territory for science and artistic investigation, then you're actually looking at the ecosystem and its health, climate and its modifications, and so on and so forth. So you look at sort of um, Jason DeCaris Taylor, who I think um, is on the, the 25th or on the top 25 great man-made wonders of the world when he put his uh, sculptures into a reef and made him, um, uh, you know, he's got all these you know, life-size sculptures of, of figures and they're now in a reef. Um, look at um, Elizabeth Prissa, um, who actually uses live uh, beehives. Uh, and so we're, we're bringing live beehives in. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, here's me, an Irishman, and I can't even go into the bush because a bull ants attack me. Right? <laughs> so I didn't know I'm not supposed to be there. Um, but we're, we're bringing these uh, bees in. And actually, that's really to look at sort of because um, uh, there's magic in bees because they, well, they don't, you know, they, you know, they get nectar, they put the acid on it, and suddenly it becomes honey. Now you can't tell me that's not alchemy, that's not magic. But also, she's talking about um, which Vera referred to as a colony collapse disorder mm. or syndrome. Um, so we're looking at you know the, uh, the collapse of the bee. Um, uh, uh, genera across the world and we're looking at 50% decrease in that and by the way I'm 44 years of age and we've lost 50% of our known animal species in, in my lifetime um, so I mean uh, this, I mean uh, Elizabeth uh, our, sorry, Catherine Glover went into McLaren and recorded the um, sounds of the, the nature there and people and she's doing a, a word piece um, the great, um, oh, uh, to the great sort of Ty Smith, he's looking at sort of uh, the songs of birds. Um, Shona uh, Wilson, uh, looking at um, uh, shells on the shoreline. And the Warto Collective are um, going back into dream time, uh, you know, their Aboriginal uh, past, which is present and future, and the idea that animals morph in. You know, you morph, you make love, you kill somebody, you bird, and you're back as a person again. So this is constant play and interaction. That sounds very roundabout, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a, a really kind of rich and, and stimulating exhibition. And I guess a question specifically for you, Vera, what does art allow us to do? How does art allow us to look and think about the natural world that we don't necessarily think about in other ways? Because there's something about the language of art and the nature of art that perhaps allows us to think about the world differently or see it differently or to experience it on an emotional level rather than the, the, the cold, logical level that we might normally look at the world. That's exactly right. We always come to things, well, I do, or try to, to apply logic to it. And I think one of the great interruptive measures is to reframe 
how you actually experience something or see something. So artists, I think, do a great job at taking that all apart and putting it back together. And I think the surrealist um, um, attitude of um, dismantling um, um, dismantling things and then putting it back together in a completely new order is sort of a principle that works very well. So through experimentation and reordering, you can sometimes um, um, present something and shine a new light onto it. So it allows people to see things differently. That's at least how I approach things. And one of the things that this exhibition would then allow us to see differently is not only the natural world around us, but the structures that animals make as well. And I guess following on from uh, the curator Janine Burke's last exhibition, that notion of uh, the nest and the, the constructed environment, the, um, how, how are you looking at the environment that insects, animals, microscopic life, organic life, marine life create, for example? Oh, look, it's been, this has been pursued for, for a long time. Now, there are architects, there are in inventors looking at nanostructures and how to better create airplane wings, all of those things, you know, they have been pursued for a long time. What I find is really interesting at the moment that through new media, um, your average citizen, if there is such a thing, can participate in science, data gathering. Uh, all of those things have become possible where you can... We're not no longer interested in just looking at scientists that sit behind a window and do something. We can all help and participate. And I think that's a really, really important part also of artists now. There's a mingling between these uh, areas and factions um, that is really, really positive and uh, intriguing and interesting. The exhibition we're discussing is Human Animal Artist Art Inspired by Animals. It's on at the McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery from the 20th of November through until the 19th of February. More information at mcclellandgallery.com. John, a question for you. I've been in galleries in the past where um, ants have been brought in, for example, and and, uh, climbing the walls or spiders have been introduced and so forth. Why do you think artists are so interested in making the natural world and living organisms part of their art at times, uh, referencing the, the bees that you were speaking about earlier, for example? I think that all artists are interested in um, co-production. How do we understand art? I mean, when, when Vera makes your work, does it, you know, when you go and view it, is there some kind of collective osmosis that you get and you understand what the artist means? It's, it's co-production. Um, and just following on from what Vera was saying about why artists want to get involved in this, at science and a high level now, we're so removed from the natural world. We have to build, you know, satellites and put them into space. Um, or, you know, these machines look at it at a molecular level. It's not like Newton sitting on an apple tree in Walsorp and actually watching the apple fall and actually abstracting that to the celestial movements of the planet. Um, so we need to get uh, our high science and actually look at it in community science. You know, your estuary watch. The people go out and count birds. Um, and actually see and record them. Um, so it's this great combination between the very, very high uh, scientific and the very, very local. Um, and bringing them together, it's an incredible area for art to get involved in. Um, it's been like that since the Renaissance. We got a bit lost there along the way. But right now, it's, it's, um, I would almost call them climate artists. You know, if we had modernity in the first years of the 20th century, which you can say is nothing more than a late 19th century Parisian experiment into art, um, what value does that have in Australia in the first years of the 21st century? Art and climate, watch this space, go to the show. 
<laughs> if you want to get along to human animal artist art inspired by animals as I, as I said it's running from the 20th of November until the 19th of February at McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery 390 McClelland Drive Langwarren more information at www.mcclellandgallery.com entry by donation uh, and uh, John I'm going to put you on the spot what are the opening hours Oh, my God. Um, uh, Ten till five, uh, Tuesday to Sunday. And please give generously. Yes, please but do. But John is there all of the time, he's told me. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm being held hostage. Help me, help me. <laughs> so uh, Tuesdays to Sundays, 10am to 5pm, closed Mondays, and some public holidays, so check the website for details or give them a call if you need to. And that website again, www.mcclellandgallery.com if you're interested in seeing the exhibition Human Animal Artist Art Inspired by Animals. Vera and John, thank you both very much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you, Richard. Richard, pleasure. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. I'm rescheduling this morning's interview with Wendy Martin, the artistic director of the Perth Festival. Haven't been able to get on to her. And then um, we did finally get in touch. She thought the interview was tomorrow. We're going to do it next week instead. It'll be good because it's a great program. If you uh, jump online, browse through the Perth Festival program. I'm really impressed by Wendy's programming and looking forward to hopefully getting over to uh, WA next year to check out some work. But what we're going to talk about now is something a little bit closer to home than the Perth Festival, uh, an event that's coming up tomorrow night at the Richmond Theatrette in Church Street, Richmond, above the Richmond Library. Uh, an event called Strive, uh, presented by Rachel Dyson-McGregor and Mike McAvoy, who join us in the studio now, part podcast, part performance. Rachel, what exactly is Strive? Strive is a, it's a project that is a four-part podcast ser- series, which is online, although we've only released one episode so far. And it's also a performance, which is what is happening tomorrow, uh, where we're exploring some of the themes from the podcast physically and through performative means with a bit of live podcasting and some experiential elements for the audience. Okay, I'm intrigued. Um, podcasting seems to be the new black. Yeah, isn't it? It's really in. Um, and so, I mean, we're big consumers of podcasts and then theatre makers. And we're, our last work was had a lot of um, live interviews that we did. Well, not sorry, not live. We did pre-recorded interviews and used that material as part of the part of the script um, with some verbatim work. And we came to this show um generating on and collecting and sourcing material in the same way but thought actually this will probably work better or this could work just as well as podcasts so we've turned our um attention to the podcast form and then we were thinking well how do we how does the podcast form relate to live theater Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a kind of ambitious project to do for podcasts and a production associated with it, which is entirely appropriate given that ambition is kind of the theme of the work. Why explore ambition? Um, I guess we it sort of came out of our last show. So our last show, Two Mortals, was about mortality. And then, you know, when you think about death, you think about what am I doing with my life? And thinking about that, we were... We're in our mid thirties, and we're getting to this point where we're 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 reassessing. You know, we we've had dreams that haven't come to fruition. Um, we're a sort of mid career. Where do we go from here? And and why are we doing what we're doing? 
you know, where where does these dreams come from? And um, is it all worth it? <laughs> <laughs> is it? Um, yes, sometimes, and sometimes not. Um, it's really interesting. The, the, this conversation seems to be relevant with whoever you speak to. Um, we've, you know, we've done interviews with. Uh, I've done an interview with a little restaurant owner who runs a small restaurant across the road from me who I discovered um, gave up on his dream of opening the uh, the best restaurant in Australia when he was about 34 um, and now just has an ambition to have a local institution, you know, um, which is still pretty ambitious. <laughs> Running a small business isn't easy. You know, so it doesn't matter who you speak to from athletes to... Um, next door neighbours to whoever everyone's got a bit of a story about dreams and ambition and how it relates to their own level of contentment um, and so this theme seems to resonate with with everyone is one of the secrets to happy living uh, regardless of your age uh, being able to scale your ambition back to what is achievable rather than impossible that seems to be what we're discovering we've interviewed a couple of psychologists around this work in this project and they do say that um that that the big dream that's unachievable yes it does lead to feelings of failure and disappointment and that if we can if we can align our dreams with our purpose then that is going to be more fulfilling for us long term rather than aiming for a particular goal if we can aim for something that is actually in line with our guiding principles and you know what we feel is our purpose in life so in the case Even of donald trump for example it's ego and ambition and, and yeah <laughs> yeah we haven't gone down that route just yet we so haven't gone we down s- the narcissist route no but we sort of have through the american psyche because there's a there's a bunch yeah. of things that we found um you know you look at just the whole um, positive psychology and motivational speakers and stuff and that a lot of that has come out of the states um and a lot of that is very individualistic. It's people doing, striving for things for their own sense of achievement. Um, and that's the, that's the thing that feels unsustainable. Um, and I reckon that relates to where the states are at the moment too in the track that they've taken. It's that whole kind of um, uber-individualist philosophy of Ayn Rand, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's flip that around and, uh, and talk about what we in terms of personal ambition and making the world a better place for other people rather than ourselves. Um, I, this seems like a good point to mention, Mike, that you've just been sworn in as a Greens councillor in the city of Yarra. So why did you want to do that as well as make a podcast and a show? And Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I didn't have enough on my plate. So I thought, why oh, don't I run for council? Um, in some ways, it's actually been inspired by this project. We started researching and working on this project around about two and a half years ago or two years ago. Um, one of the interviews I did recently, I followed Alex Patel through the federal campaign. So I got heavily involved in the federal Greens campaign for Batman. Um, and um, we also have explored the theme of altruism through this project as well. I mean, all of those things, um, to some extent, have influenced my thinking about, well, what where do I put my energy and what do I put it towards? And to some extent, that's been part of the inspiration for running for local council to see the, um, to be frustrated with what's happening on a global and even a national scale here in Australia and to see, well, what influence can I have, you know, right in my local area? Now, Rachel, the first episode of the forecast 
four-part podcast of Strive has already been released. Tell us a little bit about the podcast and what people will hear when they when they listen to it. Yeah, so our first one is called Winning and we exp- are exploring what it is biologically that happens when we win and how that ties into ambition. Um, one of our questions is, is ambition an addiction to success? You know, if we have an early success, we feel really good about it. And then is it is that the feeling that we keep chasing and wanting more and more and more and more? Because it seems that when we get to a, a goal, we're not particularly satisfied with it. We, we, we then go, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Um, and we explore the this idea through the metaphor of archery so um the first part of the podcast i go out and try um playing shooting at a target and experience the the physiological um changes in myself when i when i get the bullseye and then when i don't and we also have a philosopher who's talking about um aristotle's definition of uh, ambition and how it's about uh, he talks about what's called the doctrine of the mean which is about ambition can be good or bad but it's about finding the right level of ambition for you in the same way that an archer is trying to meet the bullseye and then the second part of the podcast we interviewed a a competitive archer who um, started off it was a hobby she just wanted something to do and then she ended up at the world championships and she came 17th in the world but still felt like there was something missing. She was disappointed in herself. And so we're exploring some of the psychology around that in terms of, you know, what it is to fall short, even when you weren't expecting anything. Yeah. Yeah. So podcast and performance. And so the performance element of Strive is happening tomorrow night at the Richmond Theatrette, uh, as I said, 415 Church Street, Richmond. Uh, And as well as what devised performance uh, uh, and uh, aspects and live podcasting as we've mentioned Uh, what's this about games that the audience get to participate in as well there's a bit of an experiential element in that um, we wanted to make sure that the audience have an experience of winning or losing um, but also enter into the themes um, through their own experiences and thoughts as well. So, you know, before you come in, there's a chance to contribute to the text of the performance by writing some thoughts and ideas and experiences on cards anonymously, which then get, in, you know, integrated into the show. Um, and then during the performance itself, um, there's an opportunity. It's obviously not uh, compulsory for people to play a couple of different games and, and experience winning and losing either as part of a team or as an individual um, as part of the show. Sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the fact that it's taking what can be a fairly passive experience, the podcast, and listening to it regardless of whether you listen to it on the way to work or on the way home or or relaxing wherever you are, taking that and making it a more active, immersive uh, activity. So... Yeah, it sounds kind of fun. So, I mean, as I said, podcasting really does seem to be the new black, but this is kind of a unique spin on it, I have to say. If you would like more information about Strive, uh, whether the, we're talking about the podcast itself or the performative element of it, um, you can go to www.strivestrivestrive.com. <laughs> 
Um, Strive was Strive.com was taken, taken and guess. then we thought Strive Strive.com is you know it's just two. We've got yeah. to go for three. You've got to go to three because you can almost <laughs> imagine someone shouting off from the sidelines. Yeah. Strive, Strive, Strive. <laughs> it's kind of like some aggressive sweaty coach or something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the live performance is happening tomorrow night at seven thirty p.m. at the Richmond Theatreette, uh, and if you go to the website, you can uh, book for that. Tickets are twenty dollars pre-sale or twenty five at the door. And if you go to www.strivestrivestrive.com, you can also access uh, episode one of the podcast. Can we offer your listeners a special deal? Yeah, sure. $15 uh, today if you use the um, the code word bullseye when you book. Okay. So uh, oh, so $15 instead of 20 or 25 at the door. That's pretty good. So use the code bullseye when you book at www.strivestrivestrive.com to check out Strive tomorrow night, uh, the 11th of November at 7.30pm at the Richmond Theatre at 415 Church Street in Richmond. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks, Thanks for Richard. having us. Congratulations with uh, getting the next three episodes of the podcast produced Thank as you. well. Yeah. <laughs> The Melbourne Cinematheque presents. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.